So we've been saying for three weeks now that people are walking away. They're walking away from their church, and in some cases, they're walking away from their faith. Week after week in the series, you've seen statistics on the screen about the church in decline. And the crazy thing about the reason people are giving for walking away is not that they are immediately or initially changing what they believe. They're walking away because of how they see the church act, how they see the church behave. What they're saying is we're walking away because we don't see Jesus in the church anymore. And man, that should really arrest our hearts as followers of Jesus. And that should give us pause. We, we really ought to start to listen that people are walking away from church because they don't see Jesus. And really that has created a lot of tension in those people's minds. If, if they're hearing what we preach at a church, but not seeing us live it out, it's raising a lot of questions and doubts that ultimately do lead to them changing their beliefs or what they say is deconstructing their faith. And listen, sometimes deconstructing your faith is good. Sometimes it is even necessary. But what we're seeing is that as people deconstruct their faith, and we talked about this last week, that in many cases it's leading to devastating results because they're tearing things down without ever taking time to build them back up from Scripture. And when the storms of life come, their house of faith just cannot stand. So we're going to shift gears as we wind this series down today and bring it to an end and focus on what we're going to do the moment that we have questions and that we have doubts. Because here's what I know, and I'm sure you know it to be true. Whether you are beginning your faith journey and have questions about what you believe, maybe you've been following Jesus for decades or somewhere in between, all of us have questions and all of us have doubts. Listen, just because I'm a pastor does not make me immune to questions and doubts. As a matter of fact, when my mom at 50 years old was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given 12 months to live, I was faced with a lot of questions. Uh, it even got more compounded when uh, she had to go through a bone marrow transplant, her only hope of survival. Ultimately, her body rejected that transplant. And about two weeks before my youngest son, her newest grandson, was to be born, we had to make the choice to take her off life support and watch her slip into eternity. And I'll never forget the night before we had to make that decision. And we had already made it, but we were going back home to sleep and come back the next day. My wife and I were sitting in the parking lot after getting a bite to eat and going back to where we were staying. And we just sat in that car and we cried and we said, God, why? Like, I, I don't understand why. I don't understand why my mom, she is a godly woman with a lot of years left in front of her. I don't understand why now, why two weeks before she could meet her newest grandson. I don't understand why. And really, if I was being honest, and I tell you this to this day, I'm not sure God didn't make the wrong decision. I had doubts about why God would allow that to happen. I have doubts about what God allowed to transpire as we had to let her go and, and watch her leave this world behind. But what was hard for a lot of people around me to understand is I had these questions and I had these doubts, but never for once did I feel like these questions or doubt shook my faith at all. I felt like my faith remained very solid in God. I was just questioning what he was doing and why he was doing it. And I think that's kind of what we want to press into today. Look, no matter who you are, where you're at, you're going to have questions, you're going to have doubts, but those doubts don't have to be the death of your faith. 
Doubts don't have to be the death of what you believe, even when you have those. Listen, doubt and faith are oftentimes companions going hand in hand in our spiritual journey. And really, that's not always a bad thing. Now, sure, having doubts and questions can hamstring your spiritual growth. It can stunt you spiritually. But if we handle our doubt correctly... That doubt can propel us forward to a more authentic faith and a deeper walk with God. I really think that's what happened as I went through losing my mother. And I find a ton of encouragement in realizing that there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to us being able to see doubt deepening faith playing out right before our eyes. And what I'm talking about is the book of Habakkuk. So if you are at home watching this and you have your Bible handy, I'd encourage you to go turn to the book of Habakkuk because the book of Habakkuk is a really interesting book. It's it's a minor prophet. Not minor because it's less important than Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel. It's minor in the fact that it's only three chapters. Three very short but life-changing chapters and really unlike any other prophetic book uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, It begins with Habakkuk's name. Habakkuk's name literally means embracer or wrestler. And the reason that that's so important is because throughout this short three chapters, Habakkuk wrestles with God. He, he wrestles with tough questions. He, he wrestles with doubts. As a matter of fact, most Old Testament prophets would go into the presence of God, hear a word from the Lord, and then take that to the people Well, Habakkuk did it the other way around. He looked at the world and he said, look, these things don't make sense. I don't understand why you're doing these things, God. I don't understand what you're doing here, God. And he took those concerns and went to God and went to God and demanded answers. So instead of going to the people on behalf of God, Habakkuk goes to God on behalf of the people. Uh, This is what commentator D.W. Baker says. He says, in some ways, Habakkuk's role and message is the opposite of that normally found among prophets. Instead of chiding Israel on God's behalf, he confronts God himself demanding an account of his actions or lack of them. And maybe if you grew up in the very religious Bible Belt South, that sounds heretical. Who could dare question God or or demand that God give an account for his actions? And yet that's what the entirety of Habakkuk's book is uh, is given to, is Habakkuk questioning God. We, We see it in Job when Job questions God. We even see it in John the Baptist when he is in prison asking Jesus, are you who I think you are? So this idea of questioning God really may not be as taboo as we have been led to believe. So what I want to do today in our time is I want to look just kind of in a 30,000 foot view at Habakkuk, how he handled his doubts and questions, and then what we can learn from that as we have doubts and questions of our own. So so let's just jump right in. We're going to look at Habakkuk chapter one. We're going to look at the very beginning verses two through four. This is what Habakkuk says. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of, my, are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. 
I mean, from the very get-go, you hear Habakkuk wrestling with God in a, in a cry of lament, in something almost like an accusation. Uh, Habakkuk cries out, how long, Lord? How long are you going to let all of this go on? What all of this is Habakkuk talking about where he, he, he specifically mentions violence. He mentions injustice, wrongdoing, oppression, wickedness, strife. He mentions all these things. And what happens here is that Habakkuk is looking out at the nation of Israel that is supposed to be God's people and he sees wickedness run rampant. And he says, God, how do you tolerate these people doing these things who claim to know and love and follow you? It just doesn't compute. Habakkuk pleads for God to judge sin, to deal with sin, to do something to fix this unrighteousness. And I think that that same feeling is in all of our hearts today. When we look out at the world and we see injustice, we see wrongness, we see wickedness, there's something in our heart that cries out for justice. I think this is especially true when we see it in church, when we see church people act wrongly, when we see church people act sometimes wickedly. That's why people say they're walking away. When we see that, it makes us want to cry out, God, why? Why are you tolerating this? How long are you going to put up with this? I mean, just look, Habakkuk puts God on the spot. How long, Lord? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It's just not working out. See, the people of Israel had persisted in telling God no. Even for hundreds of years, God has been sending prophets to call the nation to obey. And yet they would not. They would not listen. They would not obey. And so what God is going to do and the way he answers Habakkuk is he says, look, I'm going to judge sin, but maybe not in the way that you think. See, we're not exactly sure when Habakkuk was written, but we have a good idea. See, much like our country today, the nation of Israel in Habakkuk's time was divided up into two different kingdoms. We may be divided politically, but they were actually divided into two nations, the northern nation that was called Israel and the southern nation called Judah. Well, the, other, the northern nation, uh, because of their wickedness and idolatry, had already been swept away into captivity by the pagan nation of the Assyrians. And I believe that Habakkuk was written just before the same thing was going to happen to the southern kingdom as God would raise up the Babylonians to take them away into captivity. And so when God goes to Habakkuk to answer his questions and say, look, I am going to judge sin and I'm going to judge it with the Babylonians, it just starts the cycle over again. And Habakkuk says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I get that you're going to judge sin, but you can't use somebody more wicked than we are to judge our own wickedness. So yet again, he takes his questions and doubts and he brings them to God. If you look at the entirety of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk really asks three questions. The one we've just read, how long, God, until you judge sin? Then he asks, well, if you're going to judge us, how can you use this pagan nation who's worse than we are to judge us? And then after God answers that, he says, well, then what are we supposed to do in the meantime? So really the entire book is, is Habakkuk wrapping his mind around these doubts and questions of why God is allowing what he's allowing and why God is doing what he's doing. I don't know that there's a more relatable book in the Bible than this. God, why? God, I just don't get it. 
But what makes Habakkuk so important is not just its relatability and that he struggles with these questions and doubts and wrestles with God, but it's where he ends up. Matter of fact, if you're familiar with the book of Habakkuk, the last part is probably the part that you're most familiar with. Jump with me to Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17. This is where Habakkuk ends his book. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength and he makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on the mountain heights for the choir director on the stringed instruments. So where Habakkuk ends is a place of faith. What he says is, even though I don't understand why, even though I disagree with what, even though there's no fig tree blossoming, even though there's no crops in the field, I'm going to trust. And I think it's really easy for us to get cynical here and say, well, of course Habakkuk is going to end there. He's a prophet. But I think that is just that, cynical. You might say, well, Chip, of course you trusted God. You're a pastor. But look, if we're being honest... There are pastors that have doubts. Some handle them well, some don't. There are just as many pastors walking away from church and faith as there are anybody else. So I don't care if you're a prophet, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, or a plumber. None of us are invulnerable to doubt. But Habakkuk ends up in a good place. Habakkuk ends up in a trusting place. In these very final verses, he comes to realize that his faith can ultimately and finally be left in the God who keeps his covenant forever. Even though his circumstances have changed, even though he doesn't understand why, he still knows who his trust is in and that God is the same and never changes. Habakkuk's assurance doesn't rest on what he can see, on what he can feel, but rather it rests on an unshakable relationship with God, his father. So how do we, when we face doubts, make sure that we end up in the same place Habakkuk did? I think that there's a few lessons we can learn and some practices that we can use when we begin to have questions and doubts that make those doubts not become the death of our faith, but help us to end up where Habakkuk did. So let me really quickly share with you two lessons I think that we can learn from Habakkuk and how he dealt with his doubts. All right, number one, I believe that our doubt can help us find faith. Again, that may be a startling statement because we think of doubts as bad things. We think of doubts as a lack of faith, but I'm not sure that's true. I think if we handle our doubts the right way and when we look at Habakkuk, we see it, that that doubt can help us find a deeper faith than we began with. Why, why is that? Well, the reason why is that doubt can be a messenger to us. And it's good that we don't shoot the messenger by just dismissing those doubts right away. See, when a nagging question or a doubt comes at our mind and it pulls at our faith, it's important for us to stop and ask what's behind the doubt. We need to question our doubt. We need to press into our doubt. We need to search our doubt. Maybe we need to doubt our doubt because here's what's happening. Those questions in your mind, that doubt that you're feeling is telling you something about what you truly believe about life and about God. I mean, let's just step back and think of me and my mother when I'm thinking, God, why my mom? Why now? Why now? 
I think that God used that moment as I kind of leaned into those doubts to show me that I really believe that this life is more important than eternity that this life is more valuable than the life to come. And God had to show me that while I'm gonna miss my mom for the next 50 years, 60 years, that that's nothing compared to getting to be with her for the next 500 or 50 million. And so when I pressed into my doubt, realized why I was asking these questions, why I was struggling, and I could understand what was behind it, it allowed me to take that doubt and bring it into a collision with the truth of God's word. And when we wrestle honestly with our hard questions, when we search and do the hard work of what's underneath it, it gives us an opportunity to bring those areas of wrong belief, and we all have them, We bring them to Jesus and let him remake and grow us in those areas. So when we experience doubt, instead of just dismissing it and brush it off, we can lean into it, see what's underneath it, bring it into confrontation with God's word, and then God can use that doubt to grow our faith. Just like Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. The doubt that the enemy uses to weaken our faith, God can use to strengthen it. Lesson number two, our doubts will take us somewhere. Now I think this is huge. And really this is kind of the overarching message of Habakkuk. That when we have doubts, those doubts are gonna take us somewhere. The most important thing about doubt is not that we have them, it's where do we go when we have them. And when we look at Habakkuk, we see from the very get-go, when he had doubts, when he had questions, he went to God. He said, how long, Lord? He's talking to him. He said, why do you, Lord, talking to him? He took his doubts to God. And see, that's a choice that every single one of us face. When we have questions and when we have doubts, we have the choice. Are we gonna take those doubts and questions to God or are we gonna use those doubts and questions as an excuse to run away from God? Our greatest need, when we struggle with doubt, is not really understanding why God is doing something. It's not understanding even what God is doing. When we struggle with doubt, our biggest struggle is trusting who? Trusting that the one who saved us still loves us. That the one who holds the world together is still in control even now. And so when we get our eyes off of the what and the why and we put them back on the who, it allows us to take those questions and to take those doubts and to turn us upward to Jesus and not inward to ourselves or outward to the world. Now listen, please don't hear this as me saying that your doubts aren't a big deal and that you should brush them off, and you shouldn't have questions about the what or the why, and you should only worry about who. That's not what I'm saying. By all means, lean into those doubts when necessary, but make sure as you do that you remain standing on the truth. Never question in the dark what you've known in the light. If your doubts and hard questions, in your doubts and hard questions, you've got to choose to cling to what you know to be true about who God is and what he has done already in your life. Let your doubts push you to the truths of God's word. And when you do, 
I promise that you will find that doubt can be a path to a deeper and a stronger faith. That's what Habakkuk did. He used his doubt to to, to understand where his faith was lacking. He took his doubts to God and he ended with a stronger and deeper faith than when, when he began. Doubt doesn't have to be the death of your faith. And listen to me. I know that if you're watching this, you either have been, will be, or either are right now in a season of struggle where you have questions and when you have doubts. Maybe it's something that you have learned your entire life and now you're wondering, is that really true? Or maybe you've experienced a hard season, a time of tragedy and loss, and it has you doubting maybe the very goodness of God. Here's what I wanna tell you. If you don't hear anything else, let us end the series with this. It's better for you to ask questions now than to walk away later. Please, please, please don't keep those questions uh, bundled up inside. Don't dismiss them and let them turn into bitterness and resentment in your soul. God is big enough to handle your questions. When you have questions, ask. When you have doubts, bring them into the open. And my pledge to you as a pastor here at the orchard is that we are gonna do our absolute best to make sure that the orchard remains a safe place for you to have those conversations. When you come with questions, when you come with doubts, we're not going to dismiss you. We're not going to brush you off to the side. We're not going to condescend to you. We want to help you. We want to help you on that journey. We want to help you understand what's under those doubts. We want to help you understand how God can use those doubts to draw you closer to him. So if you're struggling and you have questions or you have doubts, please reach out to somebody. Reach out to me or Pastor Eddie or Pastor Jeff. Reach out to Pastor AJ or Austin or any of the leaders at your campus because we're here for you. We will take time to talk with you because these questions that you have, these doubts that you're feeling don't have to destroy your faith. God can use them to grow and to deepen your faith. And so what I wanna do as we end this series is I wanna pray for you. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for this series. And as we end, I just wanna pray, just like we've prayed since we began, God, that you would help us to be a church where the outside world and the inside can look at us and see Jesus. God, help people to see Jesus in me and my actions and my attitude and my character. But God, I pray today for those who are struggling. God, those who have doubts and they're not sure what to do with them. God, I pray that you would release them of any shame or guilt they feel from having those questions and doubts and that they would take those questions and doubts directly to you, knowing that you are big enough to handle them, trusting that you are still going to receive and accept them and love them no matter what. And God, I pray for our church, that you would help us to be a church that's a safe place for people to have these conversations so that we can get these questions and doubts out in the open now and not see people walk away from faith later. God, we pray that you would help us to hold on to you because we know that you are still holding on to us. Father God, I pray that you would do this for our good and for the glory of your name because it's in that name, the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.